0: Hey, good morning, church. How are you guys doing this morning? Okay, I'll try that again. How are you guys doing this morning? All right, you guys are all pumped up. It's amazing having the Gravettes with us. They did such a great job, guys. Thank you so much. Hey, I'm going to get right into it. Uh, we're going to be starting a new series called Godfidence. I want everybody to say that this morning, Godfidence. Godfin's Okay, we're going to work on that. You guys need some work on that. But I, I, before I begin, I, I want to read out of the Urban Dictionary. I, I know you say the Urban Dictionary, really of all the all the definitions you can find. But no, I want you to hear what it says. This is really cool. It says the opposite of self confidence. I could probably stop right there, but I'm going to continue on. It says, which is what the world preaches to us, by the way. The world teaches us to have the opposite of this confidence, the opposite of God confidence, self-confidence. We need confidence, not one that gives us credit or lifts ourselves up or builds up our own egos. Man, come on, come on, church. We can build up our own ego pretty easy. It can get self-centered. It's a lot easier to do that. But it's something that gives credit to God. That's what God confidence is. It's giving credit to God but, but leaning on his understanding, not our own. And, and believing in, in his timing, which we'll, we'll get into later as well. But do you do you complain that life is not fair? Do you, do you blame others for your present situation? What you really need is not that self-confidence. It's confidence. I, I'm going to share a personal story with you if I can. Uh, it would be, be a little bit vulnerable if I can with you this morning. So at an earlier age... Younger age, man, I was prideful. Man, I thought I was the best thing since sliced bread. Man, I I was getting certified in this, degreed in that. Prior service, man, I thought I was a rock star. So I went into this job interview, totally qualified, overqualified. I'm sure you probably heard that before. Overqualified. I'm thinking, man, I'm going to come into this job interview. I'm going to rock this. I'm going to crush this. Get in there, man. They could smell the pride all over me. They look at me and I could tell... Apparently I was so prideful I didn't even care. I was like, man, I got this. Answered their questions, walked out. How did you do in the interview? I got this job. I got this. And then that moment comes when God wants to humble you just a little bit. You, weren't, you didn't just get, not get picked, but you weren't even selected on the list of ten other people. They were not qualified at all on paper. God taught me a very valuable lesson that day. One, Pride becomes before the fall. <laughs> Two, it's amazing how I see God move. Oftentimes, he will call the unqualified, the un-whatever in life to something big, something bigger than themselves. Come on, church, how many times, I, I, I'm up here, I'm not saying I, I'm, I'm qualified, you know, we all have that doubt of, oh, am I qualified, I don't know scripture enough, I haven't gone to enough school, I, 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 my, my jeans aren't tight enough, my hair's not tall enough, whatever it is, but we've got to have confidence, and knowing that God's timing is, is perfect, but man, we can't blow up our own egos, you know, a, a, a very famous pastor, Pastor Bueller, once told me when I was starting ministry, uh, he said, before your your, your your feet touch these steps, make sure you're going up there humbled. Because one or two things are going to happen in your life, and this is applicable to any area in your life. I'm either going to come up here thinking, I got this, I'm a rock star, man, I'm going to hit a home run and preach it, baby, oh, I'm going to be preaching the paint off the walls, But the moment I get up here with that attitude, God's going to humble me before every single one of you this morning. But if I go up there and I flip the script and I say, God, would you humble me now? Would you use me in a powerful way? I am just a vessel for you. They don't want to hear what I have to say this morning. They want to hear you. And the moment that I do that and I am humbled before I get on the stage, not me, but God rocks it. If there's a home run in preaching, it ain't about me; it's about God. There's a difference in God-finance, lifting His name high, not my own name, but being convinced in that. see also that that feeling, that consciousness, that that God's power and reliance on His promises. That he will act in the right and a proper time and in an effective way. Having that same kind of confidence is, is, you know, we're gonna get into it later. You know, walking into the fire, walking into the furnace. God told you to do it, and you're like, it does it make sense. I'm gonna be bursting into flames. But believing God somehow, some way is going to make this work out in my life. I'm going to take the next step. I'm going to jump to a new career. I'm going to move to a new place. I'm going to get planted in a church. I'm going to start a group. I'm going to get into whatever, grow track, you name it. But believing that God's going to be on the other side, just waiting for you to help you through that process, to help you to the next in your life, that is confidence. See, I also want to read out of the, they call it the, Nehemiah Project, it's a biblical business, and this is their, their definition, and they're, they're drawing comparisons between the difference between the God confidence in God coming from God, and then self-confidence, and it says this, a business owner's parents, leaders, pastors, and teachers, we are very, very familiar with the importance of having confidence. Confidence is described by Google, I want you to hear this, the dictionary as assurance freedom from doubt, belief in yourself... And your abilities. All successful people credit their success to having confidence in themselves. But see, the problem with confidence is it cultivates pride, what we just talked about earlier. And it promotes a reliance on one's self-strengths and your own abilities. See, when you have self-confidence, you, you're like, man, I'm qualified. I got a degree. I, I'm certified in this, Maybe I got this. this is, I'm exactly who they're looking for. But that's self-confidence. You're depending on your abilities, your resources. Sir or ma'am, you want to walk into the next, you've got to have confidence so that you can walk into the unknown. And that he's got you on the other side this morning. But having that confidence moving forward. But see, the difference between those who succeed and those who don't is the ability to overcome doubt and fear. Because we all have doubt and fear, church. Am I in the right place this morning? We all have doubt and fear. Leaders, pastors, you name it. Deacons, it doesn't matter. Everybody struggles with these areas and sometimes in their life. But the critical difference between the two, between confidence and self-confidence is confidence overcomes that fear. Self-confidence basically just consumes, eventually will consume you with that fear that, oh, man, I didn't, I didn't hit a home run preaching this morning, man. And then we start to, to believe these lies that, that we are what somebody else tells us we are. We don't identify with what God's telling us, who we are. There's a big difference in having, ha- having the God-confidence or god confidence and self-confidence. But today's topic uh, in this series, I want to talk about the finished work of Jesus Christ. The finished work of Jesus Christ. Can we pray? Father, I just thank you for this opportunity. Lord, would you allow me to step out of your way this morning? This is your church. These are your people. God, would you use the words that I speak? Would you anoint them in such a way that it would, it would project your power? And that anointing would flow through your people and would break chains, strongholds, and walls and barriers in their life. Would not one person in this room leave unchanged? I don't care if they've been, been following you all the days of their life or, or they don't even know who you are right now. But God, would you radically change their life in Jesus' name? And everyone said, amen. Well, I'm going to be in John chapter nineteen, verse starting in verse twenty-eight. I'm going to read off the screen. Actually, I kind of like this last service, and it says this: Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. Everybody say "finished." Come on, and, and to fulfill Scripture, he said, "I am thirsty." And scripture continues on. A a jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. Now I want you to capture this. When Jesus had tasted it, he said these three profound words that if you hear nothing I say, hear these three words It is finished. I want everybody in the house to scream that. It is finished. Then he bowed his head and released his spirit. But see, we're going to be talking from John's account, the it is finished. And you're just thinking here this morning, maybe you're new or, or maybe you, you follow Christ all the days of your life. You're like, what are you talking about? It's finished. What's finished? In the oven? In the microwave? The washing machine? What, what, what is it? Old, new? What, what is, exactly are you talking about, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. Because that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And first, I want to start in the Old Testament work. The Old Testament work of Jesus is finished. The sacrifice of Jesus, the willing, the shed blood, not the spilt blood. There's a difference. The shed blood of Jesus was for the sin, but it was not an afterthought to God. And I want you to get this this morning. Everything in your life is not an afterthought. There's no oopsies in your life that he's not aware of and that he hasn't planned for. Yeah, maybe you messed up. Maybe you got wrapped up. Maybe oh, I mean, I didn't read the scriptures like I wanted to. Man, I didn't spend time with you. He knows, but he loves you anyway. Matter of fact, he can't choose not to love you. He doesn't like the sin that you're wrapped in, but he can't choose because he is the the he is love. He is the author of love. He is the originator of love. It's not a choice. He loves all of his children. There's a difference. He might not like your sin. He doesn't like your sin, but he loves you as an individual. See, the world's trying to tell us something different, that if I disagree or if I stand on the word of God or, or if you're living this, then that means I hate you as a person. That couldn't be the opposite of what Jesus was trying to communicate. Come as you are, but I guarantee you come to the altar of Jesus Christ and you accept him and you walk into a relationship, you will never be the same. Your life will radically change. But there are no accidents. It's not an afterthought. See, I want us to look in Revelations chapter 13, verse 8. And it says this, and all the people who belong to the world worship the beast. They are the ones whose names were not written in the book of life that belong to the lamb who slaughtered, I want you to hear this, before the world was made. No oopsies. No, oh, 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 I I didn't think about that. Man, I really didn't see Eve grabbing that. Mm, I didn't see her grabbing that. Man, you know, that mistake you made. Oh, wow. That really just... I hope i got a plan for that. That's not how God operates. He's got a plan for everything. There was a plan for the redemption of each and every one of us, sinners and non-sinners alike, that we would be restored through the blood of Jesus on the cross. A plan before the world was made. That's incredible. Before the world was made, before Eve touched the fruit, there was a plan. He is not a reactive God. He's an intentional God. You, you make an oopsie, you, you take a side road, he's got a plan for that to bring you back into alignment and to restore that, that finance, to restore that relationship, to restore whatever it is that has been taken from you or that you forfeited yourself. See, oftentimes we give the devil way too much credit. Devil's one angel, not omnipresent. I'm going to move on, but one, one being. Not everywhere, not getting in all your business. Your kid's, you know, right on your wall or whatever it is. Something, something crazy that just happens. You don't blame the devil. You left the crayons out. Sometimes we take ownership of our own choices, our own mindsets this morning, right? Come on. Am I in the right place? But he's intentional. The moment, the moment Eve touched the fruit, the moment a plan was well underway. And I want you to get that. A plan was well underway. To bring man back into a restored relationship with God. See, and I could just imagine the day that heaven would touch the earth, the cross. He knew that to restore man into a relationship, heaven would literally have to touch earth. And I, and I love this picture of the horizon. It's amazing. It could just be a couple of cows and some goats and horses, and this would be perfect, but I'm just saying. But the horizon, it's literally a, a picture, if you will, of heaven. Meaning earth. See, God sent his very best, his one and only son, the sinless, spotless lamb of almighty God, down to earth. 100% humanity, which I'll, I'll digress for a second there. What I love about that is that means he's relational. That means he can relate to your struggle. He can relate to your pain. He can relate to your frustrations. He can relate to that person that no matter how many times you tell them, they ignore your advice. He can understand. But he was also 100% divinity, God. But he chose to lay down his divinity to walk out the purpose of God for each and every one of us this morning. That we could have, we could advance the kingdom for, we, we could be, you know, used of our talents and our gifts this morning. But see, confidence is knowing that there is no accidents. You say, well, what do you mean there's no accident, Man, I, I, I got up in prison. I'm in prison. So you're saying, God orchestrated that? No, you done messed up and you got yourself in prison. But God can use that situation in your life. You're like, well, God well, God obviously wanted me in prison. No, God didn't want you in prison. Stop blaming God. Stop blaming the devil. Blame yourself. Look in the mirror. Some choices need to change. But man, I tell you what, the prison cell doesn't dictate whether or not you're free. I know some people that are in some prison cells that are pretty free people because they, they, they walked into a relationship with Jesus and found Jesus in a real way, in a relational way, in the prison cell. But, man, I, I never met nobody in, in, in prison when the, when the doors open up. Man, I remember I worked at the jail for a while. The doors would open up. People don't contemplate getting out of that cell. And I say, you know what? I got a cotton three, three square meals. I got a television. I get to watch Oprah. You know, I kind of got it good in here. You kind of do a look around. Like, no, I'm good. You can keep this. I have never, ever seen that. When you are free, what do you do? You run. Like, I ain't never coming back. What about your, what about your commissary? What about your call? I don't need that. I'm out of here. Come on. But why aren't we living life like that when we're free, when we're chasing after God? Chasing, walking, and running out of our prison cell. We can pray for the chains to break. We can pray for the walls and the strongholds to fall. But it does you no good if you don't walk out of the chains. If you're just kicking them around, they ain't going to do you no good. you got to walk out of them. It has nothing to do with what I'm preaching about, but somebody need to hear that this morning. But confidence is knowing, confidence is knowing that there are no accidents with God. Those who would be redeemed were chosen and prepared from the beginning of the universe. Look at Matthew chapter 15 starting in verse 31. It says, "But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. Come on, church. All the nations will be gathered in his presence and will continue, or will separate, rather, the people as a shepherd separates, separates the sheep and the goats. He will place the sheep at the right and the goats at the left. The king will say to those on the right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. There's a place for the believers prepared for you. It's much better than what we got here. We can't put confidence in our materialistic materialistic stuff. We can't put confidence in our own abilities. But we need to go beyond our own understanding and have peace beyond our understanding that God's got it and God's got a place for us in heaven if we would just be obedient and walk out this thing called life together as a church in unity, reaching other people, people that don't know him, saying, hey, you might not know him, but look at my life. The only reason my life even resembles what it does today is because of Jesus Christ entered in, into my life. People don't even believe. Forget about, like I said this a couple Sundays ago, forget about pastor. Throw that title out of the way. They, people can't even believe I'm a Christian. They say, there ain't no way you're a Christian, man. I knew you. That's a testimony. And you don't think, oh, I don't got no testimony, you know, no puff of smoke came up, I didn't come out of the drug culture, you know, it it didn't, it wasn't this powerful moment that every time I I say it, that people are saved by the thousands. You have a testimony, if you're in this room right now, you have a testimony, and you need to share it, because there's people's lives that you will impact and change through Jesus Christ that I never could reach, because of where you're at. Stop praying to get out of your situation. Ask God, ask the Lord to come into the situation and change the environment. Change people's lives. He doesn't care about your talents. He doesn't care about your abilities. He cares about the anointing that comes from God. But with that, you have got to have obedience. Ain't no talent. Talent in in preaching style might draw a crowd, but people are going to be set free from the anointing. It flows from the anointing. Are you with me this morning, church? See, we look in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, and it says this. Even... Before he made the world, God loved us. He loved you before he created it all. Think about that. He loves you that much that you were already on his mind before creation. I just wanted that to settle in for a moment. God loved us and he chose you. He chose you. He's detail oriented. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He obviously likes numbers because he wrote a book called Numbers. I am not a number person. I'm kind of detail-oriented, but I love that my God is detail-oriented because he knows everything. He knows how to walk me through some stuff, get me out of the messes. But God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us. That means you're a a son and daughter, by the way. To his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ Jesus. Ain't through Oprah, ain't through Allah, ain't through Muhammad, ain't through Buddha. I, I see here in scripture it says, through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. Again, a plan, a choice, not reaction. It gave him great pleasure. You give him great pleasure this morning. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sin. But you got to hear something. Timing is Everything. It's not something. God's timing is everything. You can walk in the most perfect job, the most perfect ministry, but if it's outside of God's timing, it will bring destruction. It will bring frustration. Come on, church. We got to listen to God. If you pray for five, man, listen for 45. Man, we all got something to say, right? But how about time? It's time that we start listening to what God wants to say to this generation and the things. Like, God, what do we do? What do we do? And he's telling you, if you would just stop talking for just five seconds... I got something to say to you. I get your petitions. I get that person you're praying for. But if you just listen and stop worrying about the laundry, stop worrying about the groceries, man. Guys, I'm preaching to myself this morning. I, sometimes I find myself, I, I'm scatterbrained. I got all kinds of ADHD, OC, whatever you want to call it. But man, I'm all over the place. I pray and I'm like, do my shoelaces ain't tight. Man, I'm hungry. And what times? Like, I, I get so scatterbrained, but what, the point I'm trying to make here is there are times where you've just, like we did with worship, have got to be still in his presence. Set aside distractions. If, you're, if your little uh, Android watch is distracting you, take it off before you pray. Get that phone out of your area. Facebook can wait. That person texting, you can wait. You ain't the president. You can wait. You ain't that important. I'm just saying. You are to God. Just going to say that. But timing is everything. Jesus couldn't even come until the right time. It's not like Jesus was like, all right, man, I'm ready. I'm going. And he just jumps in. No, the will of his father. He did it on God's timing. And people are like, well, okay, God's timing, I get it. But what happened to all these hundreds of years? Where was God? I see that he showed up in the New Testament. But where was he? I look at Genesis chapter 16, verse 7, and it says this. The spirit of the Lord... Jesus appeared to Hagar in the desert. Who was it? It was Jesus, the pre-incarnation of Jesus in the flesh, but Jesus was very much present and alive and moving on the people's behalf. Genesis 32, 24, wrestling with Jacob. Well, who was that? It was Jesus. The burning bush, man, that must have been crazy. But who was that? Jesus. Genesis eighteen sixteen, Abraham intercedes for Sodom, Who is he communicating to? Who is he talking to? He wasn't talking to a rock. He wasn't talking to a wall. He was talking to the Lord. He was there. In Daniel 3, we see three go into the fiery furnace. But wait a minute. I remember the scripture. There was another person there. Who was that? Who was dancing in the fire with them? And and even the guards were bursting the flames and died because it was so hot. That baby was cranked all the way up. And they were, their intent was to roast them. But they came out on fire for God, not on fire for the world. Come on, church. Because they had Jesus in their presence. Maybe someone here this morning like, I want to get out of my job. I hate my job. You know what? Instead of praying for you to get out of that situation or that job, maybe God has you there for a reason. Instead of saying, Lord, get me out. How about, Lord, why don't you come in and change this place? Use me. It's a mindset. In Daniel 6.22 Kenya was more concerned about God than what other people and the king wanted him to do. He said, man, I'm going to pray. I don't care what you say. Throw me in the pit of lions. My God's greater. And he is because, you see, who was there to shut the mouths of the lions? The Lord. See, the point I'm making at is these were all pre-incarnation manifestations of Jesus but what I'm telling you this morning is he is not idle. Just because you cannot see him, just because you can't feel him in the moment, just because you just don't sense whatever, doesn't mean he's not working in your situation. Doesn't mean he's not working in your marriage. Doesn't mean he's not restoring uh, your finances. Doesn't mean he's not preparing you for the next. Don't waste the now. The biggest regret I have is when the Lord told me to quit my job is that I didn't spend more time with him. Man, at first I thought it was a vacation. Like, yes. I get to relax. It's like, no fool. I told you to get in the word. So okay, well, you know, I went around that circle a few times. But man, so much wasted time, so much precious time. Man, we only got so much time on this earth. We got to use it wisely. But he's in the waiting. But here's the thing they all had in common. They had to be obedient, and they had to have God-fidence, confidence in God that he would show up in perfect timing. Man, could you imagine looking at that furnace? You see two guards get bursted into flame, turn into little tur- roasted turkeys. And you're saying, I- Lord, you want to walk into that, and you're going to be in there? I Man, you must be crazy. Come on. Let's think about this in a human way. There ain't no way. I touched the stove, and I'm like freaking out. Man, I can't imagine walking into a furnace. But God was faithful. And the Lord appeared and danced with him in the fire. Man, I, I don't know about you, but I want the Lord to come into my situation and my circumstances and start dancing in my fire and change and, and to glorify and raise him up. His name, not mine. But he's in the waiting. Maybe you're just struggling right now and that next season, that next, I'm, I'm here to tell you but more importantly, the scripture is telling you he is not idle. He doesn't sit back in a rocking chair and it's like, man, I can't wait to see this unfold, man. I'm just going to sit back here and enjoy a nice cold sweet tea and just watch this unfold. No, he is active. He's always moving forward. He is always creating. The universe is still creating. After what they call the big bang, I call a big God that spoke a big word over the universe. But it's still creating even to this day. God is always moving forward. Can I get an amen this morning? But how about the New Testament? Glad you asked. The New Testament work of Jesus is finished. This too is finished. We'll look at Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, and it says, but when the right time, there's that timing again, the right time came, God sent his son Born of a woman subject to the law, at the right time jesus life, jesus ministry was unfolded before the world so that we could be restored with a relationship with our Father. But see, sin entered the world from a tree, but we know from the words of Jesus, it is finished from a tree. Coincidence I don 't think so. it's god 's plan. say, watch this. They ate, they ate the fruit from a tree, but watch this. I'm going to grow this tree, and it's going to be used to hang my son on a cross, and that is going to bring restoration to my people back to me and to take what's rightfully theirs back from the enemy. It's finished. His body was broken and beaten for our sicknesses. Your sicknesses, your cancer in the name of Jesus is finished. Come on, I thought I would have got an amen, hallelujah for that. But by his stripes, you are healed. By his stripes, and it's not just like, oh, by your stripes, I'm healed. But do you believe it? Do you have confidence knowing that God is working in this moment right now saying, you know what? Man, my back still hurts, but it felt a little bit better than yesterday. I'm going to keep praying until I see what I'm praying for. That's how I pray. The Father laid the sins of the world on Jesus. Heaven even had to turn away. There was so much, we deserved it, not him, but he loved us that much. He said, it is finished. My children are free. I find it interesting that his hands were not closed off like this, in a, in a kind of a standoffish, not a free sense, almost like a prisoner. But he, he, the appearance of even Jesus on the cross was saying, my children are set free this morning. Everything that I just got whipped, I got spat on, I got beat, I'm unrecognizable. Like we see this little precious moment picture of Jesus. Ain't no precious moment about it. He was unrecognizable. But he was still saying, this last breath, it is finished. My children are free. That Jesus' resurrection, that that, that he was surrendering to a death penalty that was for us. He committed his spirit. I love this. Oftentimes we get past words like, okay, that's not important. He committed his spirit, which means it's a choice. You understand that Jesus had a choice. He could have been disobedient to his father, but he was perfect and he wasn't. He was obedient. He said, Lord, man, I don't want this cup. I don't want to go through this. I know what's coming. It's going to hurt. But your will be done, not mine. That's obedience. That's the kind of obedience he wants from his children. And I'm not saying you got to lay your life down. But, man, if you ain't laying something down, come on. He paid a pretty heavy price for that. But it's a choice and it's a plan. Thousands of years was finished. Years of work was finished. See, what I find interesting is all of hell. I could just imagine that moment before he said it was finished. They were counting one, two, three. And then when he finally breathed his last breath, they were saying, Jesus is finished. Finally. Get him off the cross. We're done with this. But at that same moment, all of heaven was screaming, three, two, one. It is finished. There's a big difference. See, the devil and all of hell were rejoicing because they thought they had won. They thought that oh, if, we would just, if we would just kill Jesus, this would be the end of it. But he didn't realize he was, they were, he was playing into the, the plan of the Lord. That that cross was the redemption. The sin that weighed heavily on that cross was meant for us, but he bore it anyway. See, he declared victory over death, hell, and the grave. Think about that. All death, hell, and the grave. See, hell could not hold him. Come on, I said, hell could not hold him because of the power inside of him. And believers, you need to hear this this morning. That that same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead is very much evident and alive today, and that's in you as a believer. Do you believe that this morning, church? Do you believe that the same power, that, that, that you cannot be held down from, from that boss, you cannot be held down from that pain, you cannot be held down from that circumstance, you cannot be held down by whatever it is. Matter of fact, church, I want you all to stand up this morning. I want you to shake that off. If you're able-bodied, I want you to stand up in faith and say, No more. I'm gonna shake it off. This situation ain't gonna hold me down. I wanna read it out of Isaiah as you're standing. And it says this: Shake off your dust, rise up, sit enthroned, O Jerusalem. Free yourself from the chains on your cheek, O captive daughter of Zion, for this is what the Lord says. Pay attention. You were sold for nothing, and without money, you will be redeemed. A redemption price that only Jesus Christ could pay. Do you believe that this morning, church? I want you to shake all that ick, all that yucky off, man. If you've got all kinds of stuff and it looks like a seizure, that's okay. We're not going to judge you. But I just want you to shake it off this morning. You can have a seat. I'm just playing around. But there's power in that. But faith is action, right? It doesn't do you good to say, man, I want to change the world. See, if I'm saying, man, I want to change the world... And you're watching Netflix and you're eating ice cream. Boy, this world needs to change. In Jesus' name, what good is that? You gotta do something, right? It's an action word. Faith is action. Without it, it's useless. It's dead, the scripture says. But Jesus cried out, It's finished. He had redemption and freedom on our mind, or on his mind, rather. I want us to look at this Greek word that I guarantee you I'm gonna butcher, but I'm gonna try it anyway. Tetelestia. If I butchered it, nobody say nothing, hold me grace. But the Greek word, but the point I'm making at is this particular Greek word that was spoken by Jesus, this word was used, and we saw it stamped on tax documents. And what it literally means is paid in full. You are paid in full. You ain't half price, 50% bargain, hey, I'll come back, man, I'm good, man, I'll come back and pay the rest later. No, you are paid in full. Every bit of it. Your healing, paid in full. Your restoration, paid in full. Your salvation, paid in full. Baby, it's all paid for. But see, what I often find is we, we don't have to struggle with this big sin. Like, oh, my sin is covered. I, I get that. And see, we trust the Lord with our, our eternity, right? We trust him with our eternity knowing where we're going to go. And we don't even fear death because we know where we're going to go, right? But why for the life of me, why do we worry about the day stuff? The gas. Man, I, I know I, I got a home in heaven, but I'm worried about how much gas I've got in my car. Who's going to pay my electric bill? Man, church is great. Hallelujah, the Holy Spirit's here. I feel I'm filled. But that electric bill ain't going to pay itself. Come on. That's confidence knowing God it doesn't matter what my circumstance situation is you are going to provide and if you don't believe that come talk to me i'll rock your world with the stories of our life and how god provided in supernatural ways because he's a supernatural god he's not limited to our resources but why are we worried about the job the food the paying the bills why are we worried about the next man he's telling you to worry about the like right now like like listen to him he's got the answers the answers are in the word but guess what if you're looking at people magazine you ain't going to find no answers in there not the ones you want anyway. That was for somebody. That was just download there. But this was a payment in full. But it wasn't with money. But it was the finished work at the cross. Do so you ever hear of karma? Oh, oh karma got gotcha. you. Well, I hear it all the time in my family. It drives me crazy. Because what karma is, is you get what you deserve. Man, who would want to live like that? You get what you deserve. But Christianity is, Jesus got what we deserved. There's a radical difference there. Jesus, God, that's Christianity. Recognizing who paid the price in full, and that's Jesus. And finally, yeah, baby, yeah, that's right. And finally, the devil is finished. Come on. The devil is finished in your life. The devil, he might have some growl, he might have some bark, but he's got no bite. Well, how do you say that, Pastor? Well, I'm glad you asked. Man, I'm so glad for these questions. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, it says this In this way, I want you to highlight this, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and the authorities. He shamed them publicly by the victory over them on the cross. Shamed, he disarmed them. He finished. See what was finished, it is finished the work of the Old Testament, the work of the New Testament, but devil you ain 't got no keys no more you 've got no you 've got no authority you 've got no power. Uh, you might have your bark, but you 've got no sting and you 've got no bite because of the cross this morning. The devil is finished. I see people worshiping the devil, pagan, all kinds of weird, crazy stuff. Man, you worshiping somebody that's one person that has been stripped of everything. Power, authority, everything. I worship a God that has all the power, all the authority, and is above everything. You can talk about the devil all you want. My God's greater. Just saying. But through Christ's death... He surpassed. We gotta remember that this time in the Colossians, that they, they, they were they were preaching that, that we need to worship angels above Jesus. But see, with the death and the resurrection of Jesus now elevated above everything, above all angels, above all principalities and rulers of the earth. So change the script. It ain't the angels, ain't Saint Mary gonna do nothing for you. Come on, I was raised Catholic. Rosemary beads, oh, come on, St. Jude. But I'm telling you this morning, it is Jesus Christ. St. Jude ain't going to do nothing for you. I'm sure she was a lovely lady, but she ain't got no power and authority like that of Jesus Christ. But see, he stripped Stripped, that means took everything away, ripped it off. He wasn't gently. No, he took it like, you know, like Velcro or, you know, you got that, you got that, whatever, the nair. I, mean, I remember one time when I'm going to get into that, but nair, you're ripping the hair off, right? It was brutal. He took it all away. It hurt. I want that power back. But he took it away. He stripped it. But see, something that seemed to temporarily, I know you're all getting an image now. That's I'm sorry. But a, a temporary, something that seemed temporarily to defeat him, we know We know that the cross, instead of symbolizing defeat, it symbolizes a victory. And not just a victory, not just like, well, hey, that was good, we'll get you next time. No, a triumphant victory, which means a victory over everything. Went to hell, took the keys, said, thank you, peace out, I got my people back. I'm restoring back to my people a relationship with my Father in heaven. But see, that tool that seemed to disarm him was an instrument of triumph. See, if somebody points a gun at you, and fear sets in, you're like, man, I got, man, like, you're thinking of all, like, the kung fu movies and Bruce Lee, and you know you have no, none of those skills. you look at him, like, your fear grips you. How am I going to get out of this situation? This guy's got a loaded gun. But if I told you he was disarmed and there was no bullets in that gun, how does that change your mindset? Now you're like, man, I can karate kick this fool. All he's got is a piece of metal, man. I got this guy, right? It changes your demeanor. You, you, you feel more courageous knowing you're not going to get shot in the arm. You know, it ain't like Matrix where you're going to be able to fly off of bullets. But he's got no ammunition. The point I'm getting at is Jesus disarmed the devil. Disarmed hell. So he can wave his weapon all he wants at you. He can wave whatever he wants. But it's useless. It's not going to do anything unless you allow it to. Unless you allow that fear to grip and Unless you let that guilt come in and you start believing lies of yourself that God did not tell you. But see, the only weapon you're like, okay, well, I, I get it, I get it. Obviously, he didn't have a gun; he didn't need a gun. Spiritual warfare. But what weapon did the devil have? Condemnation. See, it's interesting. The devil is a punk man. He he gets you. He gets you tempted. Like, yeah, man, jerk. why try that. It's good. He gets you to that place, and then. Some of us give in to the temptation, whatever it is, and and then you know who the first person is to accuse you? The devil's over there. See, he ain't worthy. He's not worthless. He's never going to be called to ministry. He's never going to have a husband or or a wife. He's never going to amount to another. She's never going to amount to anything. And we start believing these lies. Condemnation is the tool of the enemy. But what I find so profound is the cross. The disarmament came with the cross because what the cross, what Jesus on the cross did was canceled our sin. Therefore, no more condemnation. Stripped him completely. So you could chatter all day. You could bark and roar all you want, but you ain't got no bite. He's up there accusing you. Oh, look at their sin. Oh, they call themselves this. Oh, that flew out of his mouth again. But that's the accuser. But what Jesus is saying, but he's... He's a son and daughter. He's forgiven. I I paid that price. I paid it in full. You have no power, you have no authority. But that is what's given from my father through me. That person is free. Church, we need to live like free people. People that are running out of that cell. Crazy on fire for God. Realizing that condemnation is all he's got. It's the same. It's not like he comes up with a strategy plan and comes up with a new plan, like, all right, come on, come on, devils, let's let's get together and let's go over this new this new strategy. His strategy is exactly the same as it was thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. It hasn't changed. He's always multiple steps behind God. How do you know that? He tried to kill him on the cross. If he would have really known what that cross represented and meant, Satan would have never tried to kill Jesus. He wouldn't have, but that just tells you he's just not aware of what's going on. Pride. Pride comes before the fall. He didn't learn the lesson the first thousand times, but what I'm telling you this morning is Jesus is fighting. He's defending us before God. God sees you through the lens of the shed blood of Jesus. He does not see you for your sin. He hates your sin, but he loves you dearly. Like I said before, loved you before he created anything. I find that so profound. That man. I, you. Man, we're that important to you God. That before you spoke the, the animals. Before, before you spoke the, oh, the coffee plan to exist. And praise Jesus. Before all of that. You spoke me. You loved me. I'm that important to you. That you would literally bring heaven not worthy of any of it, but you would bring it all down for us. Friends, that's powerful. But we have to remember Jesus is fighting. He's defending. I I want us to look in, as I close here. In Luke chapter 11, verse 21. And this is Jesus speaking. For when a strong man is fully armed and guards his palace, his possessions are safe until someone even stronger attacks and overpowers him. Strips him of his weapons and carries off his belongings other translations says divvies up the spoils Jesus was speaking of himself here. the cross he would sacrifice his life die buried in a bar tomb because we knew he didn't know it needed that much longer raised to life at the right hand of God but somebody stronger was going to come in and take the possessions That was rightfully his children's. You were heirs. Did you know that? You're heirs to what it is that God has. Your children were taken back because of Jesus. Keep praying for them. Your finances, your relationships, your whatever it is you fill in the blank. He takes possession of it, but we gotta allow access too because sometimes we got that little box, multiple layers of onions. It gets stinky and nasty, but. Get this one box, but for whatever reason, we feel like we've got to guard this one thing, this one one sin, this one mistake. God's like, air it out. I've, I've called you to be free. Stop having locked and hidden chambers and hidden doors. Open them, allowing me to come into those situations, circumstance. Forgive yourself. Forgiveness is the biggest key in Christianity. It really is, and this is why. Because forgiveness releases you of the bondage and the control that situation or that person has in your life it doesn't contone their actions it doesn't say oh all is well and whatever but what it does is it releases you so you can live free so many of us are like man i'm free but man you're in bondage because you haven't forgiven that grandparent that dad or mom that beat you that perception that somebody didn't provide for you that toy you didn't get but you're you, everybody on the block got and you just felt ashamed and guilty It could be something big, it could be something small, but that stuff sticks. Childhood memories stick. Even right now, it doesn't matter if you have a P in front of your name or not. God can just wreck you. Forgiveness. I forgive. I forgive that person for that perception, for not being. true freedom comes is when you can forgive somebody and then we can walk out the it is finished that that no longer has control i forgive that person i'm gonna walk out it's finished i'm gonna live a free and redeemed paid in full life for god on fire allowing him in every situation to